write on there what it is that you fear. If you're being honest. Now, a part of us probably wants to say, I'm not afraid of anything. We want to sound tough. But to be honest, there are some things in life that cause fear. Everybody has fear at some point and in some way to different levels, different degrees, but we all experience fear. Okay, nobody's exempt from that. But what we have to learn is how do we respond to fear? We live in a culture of fear. In fact, if you watch the news or you pay attention to the news, news teams will prey on your fear. That's how they get you to tune in and pay attention, as they want you to know what you should be afraid of. So, as I became an adult, I thought I should do what all adults are supposed to do, and that's you have to start watching the news or pay attention to the news. So several years ago, I started doing that. And I've got to keep my distance, because if I pay attention to the news too much... I get sad. Uh, But as I was preparing for a lesson on fear, I paid attention to the news over the last few weeks, and here's what I learned. I learned about a report uh, in the Gulf of Mexico about a a flesh-eating bacteria in the water. Have you you read this report? Okay, so I read that report, and I thought, you know, we just went to Galveston back in March, and I know a lot of you, some of you are traveling to the Gulf of Mexico this week, Okay, so just know that, that there is a good chance you might get a flesh-eating bacteria if you travel to the beach. So when I read that, I thought, oh, you know what? The safe thing to do would just be to not travel to the beach anymore. And then I read a report about a plane crash. I think it took off from Longview and crashed in Tyler. And reading that report reminded me that I'm always reading reports about plane crashes. And I'm still thinking about Air Malaysia from a few years ago and wondering whatever happened with that. So as I read these news reports, I come to the conclusion that the safe thing would just be to not fly anymore. I'm not going to go to the ocean, and I'm not going to fly anymore because that's the safest thing to do. And then I read a report about a horrible car accident. And that reminded me of all the car accidents that I read about, and most of the time they're caused either by drunk driving or someone texting on their phone. Now, I know I'm not going to do those things, but I can't trust other drivers out on the road, so when I watch the news, I come to the conclusion that I'm just not going to drive anymore. And I'm not going to get in a car. I'm not going to go to the ocean. I'm not going to fly. I'm not going to drive. But I still have to live. I still have to go to the grocery store and things like that, so I'll just walk to it. But then I read a report, and when you go in the grocery store, you can pick up germs just by touching the buggy, and you can get things like mononucleosis just from going to the grocery store. So, I came to the conclusion, I'm just not going to go out in public anymore. I'm not going to the grocery store. But the one thing I do like to do is I like to go for a run. So I thought, at least in my neighborhood, I can go out and go for a nice jog. But then I read a report about a woman who went out for a walk, and she was attacked by the neighborhood dogs. And that reminded me that every time I go outside, I hear dogs barking. So I thought, you know what, the safe thing to do... It's to just never leave the house and never go anywhere and never do anything. But then I read a report about half a million Americans who are treated in the emergency room each year from injuries sustained to falling out of the bed. So I can't even, laying on the bed's not even safe anymore. So what can I do? If, uh, if we're not careful, fear can consume us, cripple us, paralyze us, it can take over 
our lives. In the Bible, both in the Old and the New Testament, the, the most repeated command is this, fear not, or do not be afraid if you have the NIV or another translation like that. Do not be afraid, fear not. Uh, maybe you've read this before, I've seen this before, but some people who count this up, count up the fear nots in the Bible, say there's 365 of them. So that's a fear not for each day of the year. Uh, but then I read somewhere else where somebody did a count, and they came up with 366. So he said that's a fear not for each day of the year, including a leap year. So you, you know not to fear if you read the Bible. You can find that for each day of the year. But what is fear? A simple definition of fear is an internal warning that danger is nearby and we had better do something about it. When we experience fear, our bodies are designed, God designed our bodies in a way where hormones like adrenaline are released. The blood goes and pumps into our muscles to allow us to be ready to run if we need to run or react. Our heart starts beating faster. Our eyes widen. You know, and we realize danger is nearby. It's our body's response to that. And maybe you've heard of this. When you experience fear, you have three reactions. Fight, flight, or freeze. What are you going to do? Your heart is pumping faster. These hormones are being released. And you can either fight whatever it is that has brought danger before you. You can run from it or you can freeze up. Now, fear... I've already set up fear to be a negative thing, but fear is not always a negative thing. Fear sometimes can be a good thing. I mean, God created us to respond to fear in this way. So fear is a good thing. If you have little kids and you're cooking and you have a hot stove on, fear hopefully will tell them not to go place their hand on the hot stove. If you're out in the woods camping and you see a bear, hopefully your body has some sort of reaction. If not, there's something wrong with you. And you have those options, fight it, run from it, or freeze up. Or nowadays, I guess you can just spray something on it. But hopefully, you react. I mean, that's the good kind of fear, to prevent you from harming yourself. But fear is a negative thing when it becomes chronic, when it becomes habitual, when it becomes so much a part of your life, it's just a regular thing. That you respond to all areas of life, church, family, interactions with other human beings, when you respond to them out of fear. Uh, We even have what's called FOMO. Maybe you've heard of that. That's the fear of missing out. We live in this social media culture where you can get on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is and you see the highlights of everybody's life and you're afraid you're missing out on something just through scrolling through your phone. We love fear in our culture to the point where we are willing to pay for it. We spend money to go and watch movies that are scary that instill fear in us. Around Halloween time, we pay to go to haunted houses. So there's something about fear that's powerful and that draws us in. Our main text this morning that we're starting with is Numbers chapter 13 and Numbers chapter 14. So if you, if you have your Bible and you want to turn over there, it's in the Old Testament within the first five books of the Old Testament. I'm not going to read every single verse, but I am going to paraphrase some and then, and then read here and there. So the first several verses, the Israelites are at a crucial time in their history. If you know the story of the Exodus, God brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt into the wilderness, and he's preparing them for what he's promised them. 
He's going to send them into what we call the promised land. They're at a crucial time. It's drawing near for the time for them to enter into this land. So there's a lot of unknowns. Moses being their leader, there's 12 tribes of Israel. Moses says, send me 12 leaders, one from each tribe. And he's going to take these 12 leaders. So there's something about their character and about their quality that people consider them leaders. And he's going to send them into the promised land to spy it out or to scout it out. Look at what he says in verse 17 through 20. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up to Negeb and go to the hill country and see what the land is like, whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land they live in is good or bad, whether the towns that they live in are unwalled or fortified, and whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not. Be bold, like how he says that, be bold and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now it was a season for the first ripe grapes. grapes. So Moses sends them out. 12, 12 men, 12 leaders, and he says, go, scout it out, spy it out, and then be bold, and then bring back some grapes. Give us visible proof of this land. So they go, and they do this. And in verse 21 through 25, they're on their, their scouting trip here. In verse 23, they cut down from there a branch of sing, a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They got pomegranates and figs. So they get these grapes, like Moses told them to do, and they're huge. They're huge grapes. So they have to carry it on a pole. I mean, they're so big, they're not going to fit in the shopping cart, right? Like They have to carry these grapes back. But there's proof that this land that they're supposed to enter into is a beautiful land, and it is a blessed land. At the end of the 40 days, in verse 25, so they're gone for 40 days, they come back to give a report. They're going to report to Moses... And they're also going to report to the rest of the Israelites. They come back, they come back, they show them the fruit of the land in verse 26. Verse 27, they told them, We came to the land to which you sent us. And look at this. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So what they're saying is they're confirming it does flow with milk and honey. That's a quote. You know who they're quoting here? They're quoting Yahweh. They're quoting something that God has already said from Exodus chapter 3 and Deuteronomy chapter 6. God promised them, I'm going to send you into this land, and it flows with milk and honey, and they come back and they confirm that. Yes, what God said, what Yahweh said is true. It does flow with milk and honey. Verse 28, Yet the people who live in the land are strong, and the towns are fortified and very large. We saw the descendants of Anak there. And they go on, and they continue to list who's in there. But they're saying, you know, the people are big and strong, and it does flow with milk and honey. And out of the 12 spies who were sent, if you know the story, only two of them have a positive reaction. Caleb and Joshua. And in chapter 13, Joshua is the spokesman. I mean, Caleb is the spokesman for Joshua. Joshua will speak up a little bit in chapter 14. And we see Caleb's response to Moses, to the rest of the camp. Look at what he says, and you have to love his spirit. In verse 30, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. So this is his attitude. We can do it. We are able to do this. God has called us to do this. So we are able. We can do it. But look at everyone else. Look at the other ten in verse 31. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against this people. 
for they are stronger than we. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you've been a part of a group, and some people are saying, we can do this, and it's a small percentage of people, and everyone else is saying, we can't do this. Or maybe you have that battle in your own mind. There's a part of you that says, I can do this, I can do this, and there's a part of you that says, no, you can't do this. The first time I ever left, um, the co- I've left the country before, but the first time I'd ever been to Africa, I went to Tanzania. I was in eastern Africa. And everywhere we went, we could see this. This is Mount Kilimanjaro. Beautiful mountain. almost seems out of place there in Tanzania. Everything else is hot and deserty, and then there's this huge mountain. Well, we were only there for two weeks, so we knew that we were not going to have an opportunity to hike the mountain. That would be a huge undertaking. But one of the days, the missionaries we were working with had promised us that they would take us close to the mountain. So we woke up one morning, and they said, Today's the day. Throw on something that you don't mind getting wet, and we're going to jump off some cliffs at this waterfall. So we drove deep towards Mount Kilimanjaro, and we got to a place, and this is kind of what it looked like. This isn't an exact picture from that day. Uh, But we got there, and there was about a 25-foot cliff. And we were going to jump off into the water where the waterfall was coming down. So I'm thinking, yeah, that sounds awesome, until I stand over the edge of the cliff. And then I'm thinking, this is not so great. And those fear instincts kick in. Fight, flight, or freeze. What do I do? Well, everybody else in my group jumped. I wasn't going to be the first one to jump. I wanted to make sure that when they jump, they're going to come back up out of the water. So once I saw that, I felt comfortable doing it. I went and I jumped. And there's that moment where you just kind of have to release that fear and just say, once I push off, I'm gone. There's nothing else, nowhere else to go except for to drop into the water. So finally I did it. It was freezing cold. It was exhilarating. It was an awesome experience. We, we hiked back up to the cliff where we were. We started taking pictures. It was a fun day to celebrate. And then I looked over. There was only one girl in our group. Her name was Christy. And Christy and a few of the other missionaries were walking across the waterfall and hiking up higher up the mountain. And we watched them. And they, when we found out later, it was about 65 feet high. They jumped off another cliff. So me and my friend, J.D., we were watching this. And we were thinking, there's no way. That's not safe at all. We're not going to jump off that one. But when they, when they jumped in the water and they hiked back to where we were, everyone was laughing at us, including Christy, saying, even, the only girl on the trip did it, and y'all are too afraid to do it. So finally we thought, okay, we have to do it. So we, we went across the waterfall. We had a native Tanzanian walk with us. We, we hiked up the side of it, about a 65-foot cliff, and I went and I looked over the edge of that, and I thought, man, there is no way. And the guy said, make sure when you jump, you push out so the trees don't clip you on the way down. So I'm really thinking, like, this is crazy. So I was kind of caught in this moment of, like, I can either jump and just go forward, or I can just go back down. Those are two options. One's kind of embarrassing, and one is incredibly frightening. So I decided I was going to do it, but I wasn't going to be the first one to do it, so I talked my friend J.D. into going first. (laughs) We got back in, like, a 10 to 20-yard head start to run and to jump off. We wanted to make sure we pushed off far enough. He got all pumped up, and he squatted down, and I, I don't know why he said it, but I think he was trying to sound cool, and he said, and the Lord said, let there be light. And he turned around, and he took off running, and he got right up to the edge, and you know, that freeze instinct kicked in, and he froze. He pumped the brakes. He fell backwards. His feet dangled over the cliff, and he held on for his life. So he came back, scared to death, and then finally, after about 30 minutes, both of us finally jumped. There was that moment where he just had to push off and just hope that everything's going to be okay. 
But we had that moment. Do we either go back or do we do this? But fear is so powerful. And it tells you, you can't do this. And in this story, the other ten spies who were there, fear was telling them, we cannot do this. The people are stronger than we are. Look at, um, we left off of verse 31, so look at verse 32 of Numbers 13. So they brought the Israelites to an, unfa- an unfavorable report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land that we have gone through as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw there are of great size. There we saw the Nephilim. If you know your Old Testament, that's a direct reference to Genesis chapter 6, before the flood. There were these giant-sized people. And he says, we saw them. To ourselves, we seem like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. We look like grasshoppers. That's how small we are. So what they're doing is they're coming back before the whole camp, all the Israelites, and they're saying, we're afraid, and we want to make sure that you're scared also. We don't want to be alone in our fear, so let me give you a good reason to be afraid. And they take on what's called a grasshopper mentality. Where they're, they're saying, are you kidding me? We can't do this. We want everyone to know that you should be afraid and you should doubt. Like, it's impossible. We're not going to be able to do this. Uh, this past Wednesday night, if you were with us, we had a man from the Gregg County Jail Ministry who came and spoke to us and you know, gave you an opportunity if you wanted to volunteer to be a part of the jail ministry. So as he was talking, I was thinking about uh, the last three years. I've been a, a part of the Titus County Jail Ministry. And about three years ago, I signed up. I went through the training. I got a schedule. I had my first date to go in the jail to participate in some Bible studies, relationship building, a ministry that I had wanted to be a part of, that I felt like something God had placed on my heart to be a part of. So I signed up. I went. I was excited. And the night that we got there, I was paired up with a man named Tom. Tom was a veteran. He had done jail ministry for many years. So it was my first night, so I was going to get to work with Tom. We go through the metal detector, we leave everything behind, and we keep going through all these doors. And every time we go through a door, it shuts, and you can hear that clanking noise where the lock goes in. And they finally brought us deep into the jail, back into this room where there was about 40 inmates. And the guard that brought us back there said, I'll come back and get you all after a while. And he left, and we heard the door close, and the lock shut. And I thought to myself, for the first time since I had been preparing to do jail ministry, fear instincts kind of kicked in. And I thought, okay, we're back here now. We're locked in. There's no turning back. And my heart started beating faster. You know, those hormones were being released. The blood was pumping into my muscles, and I was ready to react because fear was kicking in. So I leaned over to Tom, who was a gentle older man, and I said, Tom, what do we do if these guys decide to riot? And he leaned back over to me, and I thought what he was going to tell me was that he was going to give me a safe word, maybe quote scripture, or do something to calm me down. But he leaned over and he said, if these guys decide to riot, I guess we'll just get the tar beat out of us. That was his advice to me. <laughs> so I let him do the Bible study that night, and I was, I was on guard. But I can honestly say, I've done it for three years, never once have I had the tar beat out of me. But I have experienced God working in some mysterious and amazing ways. But you have to kind of get past that fear to get to that place. 
Maybe I'm weird, but I think we all, in some ways, have different voices that we have to choose to listen to. There's a voice within us that says, do not be afraid. Fear not. If God has called you to do this, God will equip you to do this. There's that voice. If you listen to Scripture, that voice should be there. But then there's also that voice that says, why do you keep getting yourself into stuff like this? Why are you here? It was a lot more comfortable at home on the couch watching TV. Stop doing this. Go back home. So we have to choose, what voice are we going to listen to? That voice that comes from Christ, that comes from Scripture telling us not to be afraid, or the voice of fear that tells us, don't do anything. Don't go anywhere. It's not safe. In Numbers chapter 13, they're at this place where they have to choose what they're going to listen to. They have two voices, Caleb and Joshua, telling them, we can do it. Everyone else is saying, we can't, we should be afraid. And in Numbers chapter 14, the people react. The fear has spread throughout the camp, and it's causing them to act irrationally. Look at chapter 14 of the book of Numbers in verse 4. So they said to one another, let us choose a captain and go back to Egypt. Or let us choose another leader. That's their response. That's what fear drives them to conclude. Forget Moses. Let's get rid of him. Let's go back to Egypt. It's easier just to go back. Although we were slaves and we hated it there and it was miserable, it's easier being there than going into the unknown. To these massive people in this land that God's telling us to go to. Let's just go back. That's what fear drives them to think and to do. That's their reaction. If you read the rest of of Numbers chapter 14 and verses 5 through 9, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb are all pleading with the people to not be crippled with fear, but to trust in God, to honor God, to please God, and He will take care of them. But everyone's still reacting out of fear. They want to stone them. They want to kill them and elect a new leader. And then as you read throughout Numbers 14, God commends Caleb for his spirit. His spirit of faith. And in verse 24 and verse 30, we find out that only Joshua and Caleb are going to be allowed in the promised land. They chose faith over fear, and they'll be rewarded for it. Everyone else chose fear over faith, and they had to pay the consequences for that. There comes a point where we're going to have to choose, do we live by faith or do we live by fear? As I was preparing this lesson, I thought about my own life. And I sent an email on Friday, and I asked you to be honest with yourself and to think about things that cause fear in your life. So I was dwelling on my own life for the last few years, and I thought, where are times where I have been afraid? My faith has been challenged because of fear. A lot of us who have kids or grandkids, we fear what may happen to them. There was a time about a year and a half ago when uh, my son Christian at the time, he was only about two months old. He started having a lot of trouble breathing, and someone told us, a nurse that was working with us said, you need to take him to the emergency room. So we took him to the emergency room, and within an hour, they had an IV in his head because they couldn't get it in his arms or his wrist or his feet. It was in his forehead that all these things hooked up to him, and they were talking to us about possibly sending him by ambulance to Children's Hospital. And all this was just happening so fast. And I can tell you, fear, that fear instinct had really kicked in in overdrive. 
Like that was starting to cripple me. We finally got to a place where they decided they would keep him in the hospital and we we're going to be there for several days. I got him in a room. Things kind of calmed down and stabled out for a little bit. So we hadn't eaten all day. So I told Jessica, I'll leave. I'll go get us something to eat. But really, I just needed to step out and kind of catch my breath. And I stepped out. We were in Rowlett, Texas at the time. And this was early 2016. So I drove uh, down the road. The first stoplight I came to, I finally looked up. It's like I finally opened my eyes to reality. And all around me was destruction. I don't know if I have a picture on here. No, I don't. But all around me was destruction. Because a tornado had come through Rowlett and Garland the day after Christmas in 2015 and destroyed homes and businesses. And all I could see was this destruction from the path of the tornado in front of me. And in the rearview mirror was the hospital where my son was in there suffering and many other people were fighting for their lives. And that was a day where fear just kind of overwhelms you, overtakes you. And I have choices in situations like that. When it comes to your family, your children, your grandkids, maybe your church, maybe your own life, big decisions you have to make. How will you respond when fear becomes so powerful it feels like you can't overcome it? In Matthew chapter 25, I'll paraphrase most of this. You can turn there if you'd like. But in Matthew 25, this is near the end of Jesus' life. So Jesus has every reason to be afraid. He knows what's about to happen to him. He's about to be brutally murdered and hung on a cross. He knows he could prevent it, but that's what God has called him to do, so he is going to face it. But fear should be kicking in about that point. He's giving some some final teachings to his disciples. And in Matthew 25, I think it's verses 14 through 30, he teaches the parable of the talents, is what we call it. And it's about this man who is a master or a boss, and he has lots of money. So he calls three employees. And to one he gives five talents, to another he gives two talents, and to another he gives one talent, each according to their ability. Now, a talent is not what we think of when we think of talent. We think of talent like as in, what is your skill? What are you good at? But a talent here represents money. So he's given them different amounts of money, and he's telling them to do something with it. This master is going to go off on a trip, and they don't know when he's coming back. Later on, he comes back. So he goes to the man who received five talents, and that man had to take that five talents and run the risk of losing all of it, but because he took a risk, he wound up doubling the money. So he was commended for it and put in charge of larger responsibilities. The man with two talents did the same. Took a risk, but he doubled it. He doubled the money, so he too was put in charge of larger responsibilities. But the man with one talent, he took that talent, and instead of investing it, instead of doing something with it, He went and he buried it in the backyard. But he did that because he was afraid of the master. Fear drove this man to go and to bury that one talent. And so when the master comes back and discovers that the man did nothing with it, he's punished and he's punished quite harshly. So what happens in the kingdom of God is the greatest risk we could take is taking no risk at all. The greatest risk we could take is doing nothing with our lives. 
just taking it out in the backyard and just burying it and doing nothing and allowing fear to cripple us. This man was afraid of his master, so fear drove him to make this decision because fear and anxiety, I know those are not the same thing, but I'm kind of lumping them in together. Fear and anxiety can drive us to become what we're trying to avoid. The man in the parable was trying to avoid his master, but fear was so powerful it drove him to have to deal with his master, the very thing he was trying to avoid. If we're not careful, fear can overtake our lives. Fear and anxiety, it can drive us to become the very thing that we're trying to avoid. So we have fear when it comes to family, children, the future. We don't know what's going to happen. One of the biggest areas that we fear, especially as churches, is change. I've seen that throughout my life. When things change, even if it's something small... If it breaks something that's a tradition, something that we're used to, we react, and sometimes we don't react in positive ways. Sometimes it can get ugly, but that happens because fear is powerful, and we're afraid of change. God could be calling us to do something to work with a particular type of people, whatever it may be, but if we allow it to, fear will prevent us from doing what God has called us to do. It's the same thing with working with people. You know, working with people can be a scary thing. You run the risk of failure, of rejection. So because of fear, that prevents us from actually sharing our faith with others. So you see where I'm going, that fear, just like the Israelites, they let fear spread throughout their camp, and it prevented them from doing the very thing that God was calling them to do. So how do you overcome fear other than just trusting in God? Listening to that voice that says, fear not, do not be afraid. Overcoming fear doesn't have to be this huge event in your life, this something that just happens in one day. Overcoming fear happens in small ways every day, every week. You might be afraid of a relationship Afraid to have a certain conversation and overcoming fear might just be picking up the phone and saying, I'm going to call that person today and take the first steps towards reconciliation. Maybe that's overcoming fear in a small way. Maybe you go to work every day and you have these relationships with people and they know you, but they have no idea what you believe. They don't know anything about your faith. So maybe overcoming fear, would you begin that process of sharing your faith with someone. Maybe fear of how people will respond to you is preventing you from confessing certain sins. We all do this. We struggle with sin, and we keep it to ourselves because we don't know how people will react if we tell them what's going on in our lives. So that prevents us from not confessing sins, and unconfessed sins does a lot of damage to our soul. So maybe overcoming fear in small ways would be to grab someone that you know and trust. Maybe you would grab a shepherd this morning and you say, I need to talk to you about something. And you overcome that fear of how they'll react and you tell them what it is you're struggling with and receive those prayers. A lot of times we're afraid of people that are different from us, that look different from us. And we just want to surround ourselves with comfort. So maybe overcoming fear would be to grab someone that's different, that's an other, you know, you call them that other person. 
and say, let's go get coffee, let's go get lunch this week, and you overcome fear in these small ways every day. I know it's been uh, a few minutes since I've read this Numbers 13 passage, but there's one more passage I want to look at in Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to finish the sermon by reading this passage from Matthew 10. Um, And I'm going to set the scene, I'm going to read verses 26 through 31. But in Matthew 10, Jesus is sending his disciples out on this missionary journey. It's going to be a short trip. It's not going to be their last one. But before Jesus sends them out in Matthew 10, he gives them every reason to be afraid. People are going to persecute you. They're going to hate you, just like they hated me, he says. They're going to throw you in prison. You're going to be beaten, probably killed. So he goes down this list of all these horrible things that are going to happen to him. He gives them every reason to be afraid. But look at verse 26. This is how he follows it up, follows his speech up. So have no fear. Have no fear of them. I've given you every reason why you should be afraid, but here's how you respond. Have no fear of them. For nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered. And nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim from the rooftops. Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. They're all numbered. So do not be afraid. You are more value than many sparrows. We have this command, but it's also a promise from Jesus. Do not be afraid. Even the very hairs of your head are numbered. That's how intimately God cares for you. I don't know what you're facing in your life, but we have this command, this promise. Do not be afraid. This morning we're going to sing some more. If you need to speak with a shepherd, if you need to come up here, we have a time for you to respond. And you can do that while we stand and sing.